Would you pray with me before we proceed? Lord God, we thank you for your word. And we ask that you open our hearts to it this morning. Would you speak to us from it and let it resonate in our hearts and minds? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to open your Bibles this morning. We'll be jumping around Acts a little bit. To state the obvious, when I became a dad, life changed dramatically, as people told me it would. And a lot of that is to be expected. You know, the world of bottles and night feedings, diaper changes, car seats. We knew that was coming. It was a wonderful new reality that came with life changes and then more changes. And soon I realized that every month brought changes, new milestones, many of which required adjustment on my part. For example, one day, somehow my son learned how to crawl. I could no longer trust that where I put him was where he was going to stay. He was now mobile. And another day, he just decided to show me that he could pull himself up. And so I had to be aware of where I set things down and make sure they were out of the radius of his reach. And eventually, he started walking and then running, as many of you have seen on Sunday morning after service. We now have to chase him. Each new season... We had to align our new reality, or align with the new reality as it came. I don't care for him the same way now that he's two as when he was two months. The same is true for any new season of life, whether marriage or parenthood or moving away from home, moving to a new city, starting a new career, Retiring from a career, new realities require us to align ourselves with them. You don't live the same way. You don't live the same way when you move. You don't live the same way with a new job. You don't live the same way when you retire as when you work. Unless you're on the properties committee. We have, I've said it before, we have a wonderful properties committee. God... Bless all of you that are on it. New seasons require we live differently, behave differently, maybe even learn new things. And in and around today's passage, we see the, apop the apostles and the community of Jesus' followers and how they have aligned their lives with the reality of the resurrection. The way they are behaving now is a lot different than how they behaved when Jesus had died. Today is the first Sunday after Easter. And last week we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we talked about how Luke's account of the event calls us to remember that reality. And today we're in Luke's sequel, the book of Acts. And we're looking at a couple of ways that the reality of the resurrection plays out in the community of followers of Jesus. And a lot has happened since Easter after rising and appearing on several occasions 
to his followers, Jesus ascends into heaven, before which he tells his followers that they will be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. But first, they must wait for the Holy Spirit, the person of the Godhead who will empower the entire mission. And after Jesus ascends, an angel tells the group that he will return. And the Holy Spirit comes upon the group powerfully, allowing them to proclaim the wonders of God in languages that they don't know. On Pentecost, and the worshipers who have come to Jerusalem from all over the Roman Empire are able to hear the wonders of God in their mother tongue, not just the lingua franca. And this, combined with a sermon and gospel proclamation by Peter, draws many to join the believing community. And the community keeps growing, and eventually there's conflict. After Peter heals a man who's unable to walk, and he takes the opportunity of the healing to tell people about Jesus, to proclaim that Jesus, who was crucified, is Lord and Messiah and has been raised from the dead. And he tells them to repent and turn to God for forgiveness of sins. And while many believe and respond, the religious leaders respond by arresting Peter and John and putting them in jail. And they question them the following day. And when they ask by what power they had healed the man, it says in chapter 4, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Amen. I added the amen. And you can say that too. It's a very different tone from Peter than when Jesus is arrested. So much for I don't know him. Now Peter is telling them exactly who he is. And it says that in light of this courage, and that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they took notice that they had been with Jesus. They also couldn't refute the miracle. The meeting ends like this. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And after further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. And in our passage today, is an almost identical scene with the apostles jailed again, but this time they are miraculously released to preach again. And they're brought to be questioned by the Sanhedrin, and Peter gives another defiant answer. And this time they're ready to kill them, but a man named Gamaliel, a well-known rabbi, who was teacher to the apostle Paul before he was the apostle Paul, he convinces them, to let them go, telling them that if their purpose is from human origin, it will fail. But if it was from God, 
They will not be able to stop them. They will only be fighting against God. His words are wise and correct, telling us that God's purposes will not be stopped. The resurrection will be proclaimed. God will build his church, and Jesus is bringing his kingdom. That's the constant. That's going to happen. That is happening, by the way. The variable is whether people align with it or not. In the case of this passage, the religious leaders are outright opposing it, only for the inevitable to continue. But the community of Jesus' followers, they give us a snapshot of what lives aligned with God's purposes in light of the resurrection can look like. Particularly in the case of the apostles. At this point, we see the apostles have aligned their lives with the reality of the resurrection and God's purposes in light of it. Throughout Acts, but especially in these early chapters, we see that they are living differently because reality has changed. Life is different because Jesus has risen. It contrasts sharply to when he was in the tomb, when he was dead and they were hidden away in fear and sorrow. Now that he's risen, everything changes. And one way we see them in the community aligned with reality is that they are confronting need. Powerfully. Verses 12 to 16 of this chapter, we see them working signs and wonders to the extent that people are bringing their sick to them to be healed. And they've already healed a man who couldn't walk in chapter 4, and it continues in this chapter. But before that, there's an even more basic ministry to need we find among the community. Among followers of Jesus, there's generosity and sharing to the extent that there's no need among them. In chapter 2, it says, Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And later at the end of chapter 4, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. But they shared everything they had with great power. The apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. Both of these passages, they mention everyday provision through people's generosity and how they viewed and used what God had given them. As well as God's miraculous provision, both a result of the grace of God. Both of these things show people God's heart. Our giving and our generosity is not simply a spiritual discipline. It's a means of showing people who God is and God's heart for them. It testifies that there is a God who loves them and wants them provided for. It's a form of witness. As I said last week, praying for needs, especially those beyond our reach to give to, they invite our resurrected Lord to intervene in our lives. 
to bring his resurrection reality into our lives and the lives of others. When God answers prayers for healing, it testifies that God is making things right through the advancement of his kingdom. And that one day, all will be made right when Jesus brings it in its fullness. But even if we don't see the answers that we seek, praying for people is still a powerful form of witness. Testifying to the love of God that's on display in the resurrection. When someone has a health need or something beyond what we can give, when we offer to pray for them, what we're saying is, I may not be able to intervene, but I know someone who can. Someone who loves you and wants you to know fullness of life. There's no limit to how to do this. As I've told you before, I'm a big fan of praying for people in person. And if I remember correctly, I think I've dared you to do that. I dare you to do it again. To ask people if you can pray for them. And if they say yes, and the Spirit leads, go ahead and do it right there. And the reason why I like doing that is because they know I'm serious. And not just being polite. It's also a powerful form of ministry to intercede, as I know many of you do. Perhaps you have a, a set time that you do it as a regular discipline, and you add people to that list. And it's always a good idea, as you do, to follow up and let people know you're praying for them. How is that need that, I'm, I, that I've been praying for? Because when God answers then they know they have encountered the living God. But even if he doesn't give us the answer that we seek, it's still an encounter with the love of God. It still shows somebody that we care enough to do that because there's a God who cares for them. All these things, the everyday generosity, the miraculous provision, all these things God is doing through the community, it's a form of witness to those outside it. This is what people, this is the kind of community people are being invited into as they follow Jesus. And who want, wouldn't want to live in a community where there's no need? So important is the witness of community that earlier in our chapter, God judges a couple who threatens that witness. There's a couple named Ananias and Sapphira, and they sell a piece of land. And they give part of the, what they got from the sale to the apostles. But they tell them that it was everything they received. And they lose their lives supernaturally because of it. Now, the, prob the problem is not how much they gave. The problem is that they lied. And it seems harsh. It was helpful for me when I heard a pastor frame this through the lens of a mama bear and her cubs. This is God being a mama bear. If you know anything, you don't have to know a lot about bears to know that you don't get between a mama bear and her cubs. It will not end well for you. In this stage where the church is in its infancy, God is protecting the community. God is protecting its witness, a witness that is based on truth, the truth of the resurrection. And God still protects his community. 
Another thing we see the apostles do in aligning their lives is they align by proclaiming. In contrast to abandoning Jesus at his arrest and hiding away, as many of them did, they are proclaiming his resurrection boldly, even as they are miraculously released from jail and their jailers find them preaching in the temple courts. And whereas Peter was afraid to tell people that he even knew Jesus, now the Holy Spirit has empowered him to proclaim who Jesus is to the very people who handed Jesus over to be crucified. And they're faithful even in the midst of threats. The high priest accuses them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. He said, Yet you may have filled Jerusalem yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. And I love Peter's answer. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. And it says that when they heard this, they wanted to kill them. And even though they don't, they still, they're still flogged, which is no small punishment. Even a, and, and even after that, they are rejoicing, probably with blood still dripping off their backs from the flogging. Because for them, it's an honor in their eyes to share in the sufferings of Christ, as 1 Peter 4.13 puts it. And they even go right back to the temple courts where they've been arrested twice. And the chapter ends saying they never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. We must obey God rather than human beings. That settles it for them. That's why they're proclaiming. Our proclamation might look a little different. We're in a very different context, in a very different time. All the same, it can be intimidating to many people. Some of you are reading this and wondering if the Lord is calling you to preach on the street corner. I don't think, to be, <laughs> to be clear, I don't think that's what everyone is called to. And if you feel so led, please call me so we can discuss it and discuss what God is doing in your life. A lot of us struggle with this. A lot of us wrestle with how to be a faithful witness. And there's no limit to how this can look. But a good place to start is being honest with the fact that we follow Jesus and being ready to tell people why we follow Jesus. That's what a testimony is. It's like the angel told them, go and tell the people about this new life. That's what witness is. Telling people what life with Jesus is like. The risk we face in our context is likely nothing close to what the apostles faced. All the same, it's still worth considering what might hold us back. Because we are human. Perhaps it's 
a fear of awkwardness or loss of reputation, maybe losing even certain relationships. But as Peter says, we must obey God rather than humans, rather than our own fears, rather than our own reservations. Whatever those are, be encouraged. If God can empower the apostles at the risk of loss of life, he can empower us to face whatever challenges might be in our way, whatever might cause us hesitation. And living this way, living in such a way that there's no need among community, living in a way that brings God's miraculous intervention to people, living in a way that proclaims the resurrection boldly. These things are all empowered by God. They are empowered by the Holy Spirit who comes upon Jesus' followers after he ascended. At the foundation of these changes is their relationship with God. They align their lives with the resurrection because they are aligned by prayer. And while it's not direct, it's, it's just before our chapter. It says, it shows them that these things happening are things they prayed for. It says, now, they said, now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And it says, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God boldly. If in examining ourselves, if in examining our lives, there are things that challenge us to be faithful, it's worth considering. The apostles did not start in this place. God has empowered them to be here, to be the witnesses that they are. He's empowered them with his Holy Spirit. They have prayed for these things. And God is bringing them about as he works through them. Spending time with God. Being in relationship with God. To hear his voice and be empowered. is crucial to being a faithful witness. Are we doing that? Because it's in doing so that we are empowered to live faithfully, and to be aligned with God's purposes. New realities require us to align ourselves with them. A new reality requires a new way of living. And aligning our lives with God's resurrection reality, it makes everything subject to him. All that we are and all that we have, that he may show people who he is. But because his purposes cannot be stopped, there is no higher purpose to give those things to anyway. So let's align our lives with God's resurrection reality so that we will know him more and make him better known to others. Let's continue worshiping our Lord.